everyone. Welcome to session 11 in our study of Esther. Today we're going to be discussing Esther chapter 6. Now, some of you may remember that old TV show from the 80s called The A-Team. Well, the main character Hannibal was famous for saying, I love it when a plan comes together. And we do, don't we? We humans feel secure and take comfort in having a plan. We know what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next. But what about when our plans are obstructed, when our plans don't come together? I recently read a story about a woman who several years ago took a vacation to Germany with her husband. And after two weeks on a dream vacation, she was ready to go home. But instead, she discovered her return flight had been overbooked, causing them to be delayed by another entire day. Although she was frustrated, she tried not to let it get her down and began to think about her son, who was an army lieutenant, who would be returning home from a tour in Iraq. Now, she wasn't sure if she and her husband would be able to see him during his R&R in the States because time was so up in the air. Well, the next morning, they made their flight back to the States, only to discover their connecting flight from Atlanta was also delayed because of bad weather. As the hours passed, she could feel the frustration rising, and she finally said, that's it. I just want to get home already. Well, that's when she saw a group of soldiers coming from one of the gates. They're coming back from a war, and I'm coming back from vacation, she reminded herself. What right do I have to be frustrated? Then her husband grabbed her arm. Look at those soldiers, he said. I see them, she said. Well, yeah, but do you see who's in front? Suddenly, all the delays made sense as she rushed into the open arms of her son. So when it seems like our plans are falling apart, they may actually be falling into place. That's what we're going to see today in Esther chapter 6, that the evil plans of one man are beginning to fall apart, while God's plan is falling into perfect place. So let's read Esther chapter 6 from the CSB. That night, sleep escaped the king, so he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to him. They found written in the report of how Mordecai had informed on Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, when they planned to assassinate the king. The king inquired what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act. The king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. The king asked, who was in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's attendants answered, Haman is there, standing in the court. Have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered, and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Well, Haman thought to himself, who is it the king would want to honor more than me? So Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have him bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn, and a horse the king himself has ridden, which has a royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse through the city square, and call out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. The king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. 
So Haman took the garment and the horse. He closed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, calling out, This is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried off for home, mournful and with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him, because your downfall is certain. While they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So here we see God's workings that have been somewhat hidden so far are now on full display. I mean, I don't care who you are. No movie has ever been made. No book has ever been written that compares with this account. What an amazing God we serve. What an adventure being his follower. We do not serve a God who is a staunch, stoic stick in the mud, but a God of humor, a God of wit and wisdom, and a God who gets irony. And what we see in this passage is that God is involved in the little details of life, just as he is involved in the big things in life. It's easy to believe that God is so big and powerful and strong that he's not interested in small details. But God knows that sometimes it's the small things that have the greatest impact. A grain of sand is small and insignificant, but placed inside the shell of an oyster becomes one of the world's most treasured jewels. One man's restless night contributed to the salvation of the Jewish race. God sees the whole picture and how every detail contributes to that picture. So, as I mentioned earlier, God's intervention is evident on almost every page in this passage. We see godly intervention in the realm of the physical. Verse 1 says that the king was having trouble sleeping. Now, as you remember, the king had attended the banquet that Esther had prepared for he and Haman that day. And so, that night, God prevented the king from sleeping because he had a plan for him. You see, God, he never sleeps. Psalm 121.4 says he never sleeps nor slumbers. So God doesn't miss anything. Even at night, he is attentive to our needs. And he knew that this king needed to be awake. God was also intervening in the realm of the mental. He prompted the king to choose to read rather than choosing the multitude of alternative entertainments available to him. God was intervening in the material realm. Of all the books that he could have chosen to read, he chose to read the Chronicles, recording the activities of his reign. Now, Persians were meticulous record keepers, and Ahasuerus had been king of Persia for 12 years. So imagine the number of volumes in his library. But the scribe just happened to pick the book in the records that recorded Mordecai uncovering a conspiracy to assassinate the king. There was another person who just happened to choose the right book at the right time. A young British student in February 1916 bought a book at a used bookstand in a railway station. He had seen that book there a dozen times and never considered buying it until that day. Well, reading that book eventually led to his conversion and his name was C.S. Lewis. Finally, we see godly intervention in the circumstantial realm. Of all the attendants that could have been in the king's court early that morning, it was only Haman. 
Haman was the only one there the next morning. Now, after reading about Mordecai saving his life, the king asked in verse 3, what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? And the attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Now, this is significant because rewards and punishments were an important part of the Persian system of maintaining loyalty. And the king was known for keeping very clear records of those who served him well. So it was unusual that such a service of Mordecai's went unrewarded. But as I've mentioned before, God is the master of timing. Psalm 31:15 says, The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies. That is exactly what God was doing for Mordecai and does for all of his followers. It was unusual that Mordecai had not already been honored, but God even works within the unusual. Have you ever thought, well, yeah, God was there for me then in that situation, but this is different. What I'm going through right now, this is different. It's not the same thing. This situation is different, so I'm not sure if he's going to be there for me this time. And so you begin to doubt his ability to help you. But we must remember that what may seem different or unusual to us is not to God. Did Mordecai wonder why he never got a thank you for saving the king's life back then? Well, we don't know, but it certainly didn't make sense. But now, five years later, we see that if Mordecai had been rewarded right away, then Haman wouldn't have been put in his place, thus initiating his downfall. So after the king hears that no recognition had been given to Mordecai, he decided to seek advice on how to honor him. And Haman was the only one there. Because remember from chapter 5, Mordecai refused to rise and show fear in Haman's presence. And Haman was so angry about it, he built a gallows and had come there to ask the king if he could hang Mordecai on it. And incidentally, in this account, we also see why Esther refused to make her request at the first banquet the day before. I mean, the king honoring Mordecai now is going to prepare him to react favorably toward Esther when she makes her request at the second banquet. So Haman was the first one at the king's court that morning. He wasted no time getting himself to the king. Mordecai's execution was his top priority. So the king and Haman both have Mordecai on their minds at the exact same time, and they're both seeking advice from each other about Mordecai. The king is seeking advice on how to honor him. Haman seeking advice on how to murder him. Aren't the workings of God truly incredible? So in verse 6, Haman enters, and before he can even get a word out, the king asked, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Now, notice the vagueness of the question. The king never mentions who he wants to honor. And Haman is so self-absorbed that he can't imagine the king would want to honor anyone but him. Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-three says, A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. Does this not fit Haman and Mordecai to a T? So thinking he was talking about him, Haman advised the king to place his royal robe on the man and let him ride on the king's royal steed throughout the city while the king's most noble officials paraded the horse and rider and called out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. 
So what Haman suggested for himself was actually done for his most despised enemy. Now, wearing a royal robe carried great significance in ancient times. It was a sign of unique favor. It meant partaking in the king's power, stature, and honor, which is probably why Haman suggested it. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 16-19, God told Elijah to anoint Elisha as his successor, and he did so by throwing his cloak over him. And you and I, as followers of King Jesus, have been clothed with garments of salvation and arrayed in a robe of his righteousness, according to Isaiah 61.10. So Haman followed the king's orders. He took the king's garment and placed it on Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, calling out, This is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Now remember, Mordecai had done his good deed five years ago. But just because he wasn't rewarded then didn't mean that he wouldn't be. God had some things to put into place first. And if he had been rewarded then, then Haman wouldn't have received what he deserved. And the king might have forgotten about it thus making him less receptive to Esther's request at the second banquet. So if you're feeling unappreciated or haven't heard the words thank you in a really long time, then trust what Proverbs 11:18 says, the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. God rewards those who seek him. And doesn't God have a wonderful sense of humor? I mean, imagine Haman parading Mordecai through the streets of Susa, Haman wanted to destroy an entire race of people, God's people, and he was wealthy, powerful, and influential. And Mordecai was just a regular guy working at the king's gate. Yet God tips the scales, like he often does when it comes to worldliness and pride. Mordecai was quick to point out to Esther that perhaps she had come to her royal position for such a time as this. Well, Mordecai had come to his position for such a time as this. So have we all. We have all come to our position in life for a reason. God is uniquely involved in the aspects of our lives. So the question we should be asking is not, will you act God? But will you give me the eyes to see you acting in my life? God, because of his great faithfulness, has a new mercy for us every single morning. Are we looking for it? Are we taking notice of what God is doing all around us? Maybe if we started looking for his handiwork in our daily lives, then we wouldn't be quite so stressed, anxious, and doubtful. Because seeing him at work reminds us that there is something greater than ourselves. There is more to this life than what we can see. What Mordecai refused to do for Haman Haman now is forced to do for Mordecai. And Haman is so mortified at having to honor him that the text says in verse 12, afterward, he hurried home with his head covered. It seems Haman was feeling some of the anguish that he had perpetrated on Mordecai and the Jewish people. He was overcome with grief and despair, much like the Jewish people dressed in sackcloth and ashes after hearing about Haman's plan to destroy them. And when Haman went to his wife and friends for consolation, how did they respond? Well, basically they said, your downfall is now certain. Since Mordecai is Jewish and you've begun to fall before him, 
you won't be able to overcome him. Now, Zeresh refers to Mordecai being Jewish. As a matter of fact, there are five references in this passage to Mordecai being Jewish. Perhaps Haman's wife and advisors had become aware that there was an irresistible power protecting the Jewish people. And Persians were very superstitious, so they likely saw a bad omen in that day's events. In the Persian kingdom, luck, chance, and fate were important parts of everyday life, which stands in stark contrast to God's kingdom, in which there is a purpose and a plan that is reasonable, orderly, and calculated by our loving, merciful Father God. I mean, even pagans, like Haman's wife and friends, are expounding the truths of Scripture. God's chosen people will be protected. So that's what Haman did. Well, what did Mordecai do? Well, after he was granted such a magnificent display of honor and praise, did he do what Haman did after going to Esther's banquet with the king? Go home and brag about how important he was? No. It simply says in verse 12, Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. He went back to work. Throughout the book of Esther, more often than not, we find Mordecai at the king's gate. After receiving the devastating news that his people were going to be killed, he grieved, deeply and outwardly. Then he picked himself up and went back to work at the king's gate. And here, he has just been honored above any other person in the kingdom. And what did he do? He went back to work at the king's gate. I believe Mordecai lived a life described in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Seek to lead a quiet life and take care of your own business. I think Mordecai was a humble, hard-working man who didn't let the events of life, whether good or bad, derail him from what he knew to be true. How was he able to do this? Well, I believe he trusted God to take care of things. One commentator says, God can trust his blessings with the humble because they seek to honor only the Lord. So the challenge this week is, do we allow the events of life to derail us or do we trust God to take care of it? If we seek to honor only him, then we can trust him even with the small details of life. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.